five, four, three, two, one. I'm John Miglosh for the Wisconsin DMA and the International Society for Strategic Marketing. Which brings us to Tom Fishburne. I sure probably should have skipped the commercial since I already have the humor of Tom Fishburne already embedded. Uh, let's get over to that. Let's see if I can figure that out. Ding, ding. And I'm in the PDF area, so now i got to get over to the brand onion. Today's cartoon, he says, essence, the onion, at the core of the onion is all the brand's hubris in one word. You know, and I've been part of these things. <laughs> I never really ran them because I didn't believe in them. So I'm on the same page with Fishburne, but... Then there's the brand purpose, why that hubris is good for the world. Then there's the brand promise, now that hubris is good, now how is that hubris good for customers? Now the brand values, the same cliches used by everyone else, and the reasons to believe in the brand, a word salad of buzzwords no one understands. And I don't really understand the whole thing, to be honest about it. But uh, Tom points out that this is like brand DNA, brand wheel, brand key. In theory, it captures what the brand is all about. But in practice, the brand often says more about the marketing team than it does about the brand. And that's kind of where I was at when I was part of it. I wasn't a good team player, let's say. Because they can be self-indulgent, inflexible, and full of jargon. And I always wonder what they're paying the guy who's running the thing. Anyway, um... Early in his career, he spent months in meetings debating the brand essence for our brand of frozen vegetables. <laughs> Ultimately, they came up with Healthy Haven because our director really liked the word haven. I'm thinking of the Grey Havens in the Lord of the Rings. Okay. We could, it was a peace treaty. We could kind of sort of justify it, but no one reading our brand onion would have been able to do anything with that the brand onion rarely passes the factory floor test could you share it outside the marketing ivory tower without being laughed out of the room now that's the real question <laughs> it's frozen vegetables <laughs> are they any good that's the question the strongest business communication is just plain english you know good beans <laughs> Okay, while you're debating the exact wording, a direct-to-consumer brand has gathered a small lake of first-party data telling them exactly where to pivot next. And, of course, that's kind of optimistic also because data never tells you what's next. All data is historical. Sorry, Leo Raymond. Raymond. Uh, all data is historical. It will never tell you where to go next. It might tell you what people are complaining about, and we'll get to an article on that. Here's, an art, here's a cartoon from 2006 that sums up Tom's experience at Brand Camp. Healthy Haven. <laughs> he says, after six months of mind-numbing grammatical infighting, we finally agree on a brand promise of Healthy Haven. And then the next person says, my college girlfriend was named Haven. How about Harbor? <laughs> Healthy Harbor. I hate sailing metaphors. You know, and I tried to get them, I tried to get the, when they talked about what kind of team do we have here at this company, I tried to show videos of the America's Cup on the on those, those catamarans going 50 knots. 
around the course, 50 knots in a sailboat with no external power, or no batteries either. Unbelievable. They didn't like that. I forget what they picked. I have no idea what they came up with. After a while, I couldn't. I was being paid to be there, so I resigned because I couldn't take the money anymore. One onion to rule them all. We filter all decisions through our almighty brand onion, but it's filled with esoteric jargon even our own agencies don't understand. That's one person standing up. Don't be this person. You get fired. Shouldn't we challenge it to make sure it's still relevant? Don't be that person either. Blasphemy. No one questions our brand onion. More genuflecting. Yeah, and that's the, the, the guy who's in charge of it all. And he doesn't want it to change. Here's my favorite Tom Fishburn alike of all time. Inside the mind of the consumer. My husband, my kids, friends, Fifi, home, sunsets, travel, me, mom, and dad. Career. I don't see our pickle br- <laughs> I don't see our brand of pickle relish anywhere. It's inconceivable. This is a brand loyalist. Yeah, because one of the reasons we we use brand is to simplify our lives. So if you got a pickle relish that you like or a condiment or some other thing, and you go to the aisle, and, and instead of seeing the vast array of pickle relish choices and pickle choices, you see the one you've used before and like the taste of. And that means you don't have to think about it at all, ever again, never. And that is why we like brand. And if you don't know that, you don't know much. Okay, here's an interesting one. China restricts kids' online gaming to three hours a week. Three hours a week. That sounds like my childhood. When my dad said we could only watch, I think, one one show a week, one TV show a week. At least that's how we started. I think Saturday mornings were open. We could watch cartoons. But it might have gotten to the point of one show a night. But it wasn't more than that. I know that. And if it was a half-hour show, that's, you know, that's two hours or so a week of the, of the school nights. Anyway, uh, so China's asking the gaming, well, first of all, it's asking for real identities on the gaming, which might knock some of the fun out of the gaming. And then real ages and stuff. And then if you're under... 12 or something yeah 13 if you're on if you're up to 12 you can only get uh back when 10 cent did it in 2018 they allowed one hour per day but now it's down to three hours a week and it's only saturday friday saturday sunday i think um yeah friday saturday sunday okay so whoo and only that hour that's going to be a really fun hour though because everybody's going to be on, all your friends are going to be on at the same time. So it may have some benefits. Okay, consumers want personalized content, but research suggests brands are having trouble delivering it. Yeah, what a surprise, because data is historical. And you don't know, you don't know when the check engine light came on on my car, or why, or whether I care, or whether I have that $6 item I got from eBay that lets me turn off the check engine light because I know what it is. <laughs> and it's not easily fixed, but it's not really not working. It's a sensor. It's not even the sensor isn't working. It's the differential, and it's caused by thing like the weather. Anyway, and I can go a 1,000 miles without it coming up again. 
So you don't know what's going on in my life. You don't know my priorities. You don't know. I don't even know what I'm going to decide next. So personalization is kind of an unattainable thing. And here's an interesting quote. We get we get that. Uh, look, as humans, as consumers, we become used to high-quality content that's also personalized. We have? Where do you get it? Okay, somebody chime in. Where do you get personalized content anywhere in life? The only the answer is when you've looked it up yourself and said, I want more of this to somebody who generates just that content. In other words, I, I watch YouTube sailing channels and farming channels, but my wife is not going to let me raise pigs. She told me that. She's told me that many times. At least I'm raising honeybees, which she wasn't too keen on for like decades, but we got some now. But I watch bee videos. I watch pig videos and I watch sailing videos but those are those are channels I subscribe to myself YouTube all YouTube did was give me a way to subscribe right and you know I'm learning to avoid ESPN because they shove all kinds of things I don't want at me now I can go to MLB and check the standings I can go to um, packers.com and find out they lost or wherever you know so I personalize my content. Once I get there, it's not personalized at all. No. Now, TikTok, if you don't care, you just want to laugh a little, there's some stupid stuff that will come up and it will feed to you. But it's not really personalized. It's just only grossly personalized. So I would contend that we get that on our phones. No, we don't. No. We go hunting for content that we like and very it very rarely gets us where we want to go. You know, the average Google search is about one third what I what I was hoping for, and uh, or or worse. So, first of all, we can't really get personalized content, and so and so if a, you're a consumer and you expect it, dream on, baby. But worse than that, nobody knows what you're going through, and you don't know what you want next. So if you expect merchants to guess that, well, 20% or 40% people do. Um, and there was an interesting, there was an interesting illustration here. Apparently, in 2013, here's a marketing story for you. Nike lost Stephen Curry, who was, I think, a basketball star. But I don't watch the NBA, so I don't know. Uh, but they lost Stephen Curry. Um, who was endorsing Nike, apparently, because they showed a repurposed slide with Kevin Durant's name on it. And Stephen Curry said, I don't want to be part of this. You can't even put a real presentation together, and you've got some other guy that is a competitor of mine during the pitch meeting. Okay, this is an example of non-personalized content that could cost a company millions. Yeah. You know, we used to say that you should try to fit your, like, illustrations to the geodemographics of your audience. But now, routinely, I get, I mean, it's almost universal that I don't ever see old men with beards. <laughs> Even though I have money to spend, they don't, want to, they don't want to send me a personalized content looking like me. It's kind of funny. It's all of a sudden, it's all disappeared. Even though I'm the guy they want to sell to. Uh, so, I see brands doing this over and over and over, and... It does annoy me, I have to admit. So oftentimes, your best bet 
is not trying for personalization, but trying not to annoy people. And that's something you know you really don't know me. And since you don't know me, try to be a little less annoying. Maybe go with illustrations that reflect the vast majority of your geodemographic profile rather than, than trying to. And, and my kids explain to me, well, what they're trying to do is they're trying to show diversity, which is popular among old white guys. Well, maybe, but that's kind of elliptical. It's like brand strategy. May work, may not. You know what I would say? Test it. Test it. Come to the meetup. Tell me what you think. It'll be a lot of fun. And here's a pretty good article. It's a little long, so you'll get the main part in there. But one of the things that Jane says here is that by minimizing the rate of churn, companies can prosper and grow quicker. The truth is, thanks, Keith. Most companies think about how to speed up growth. Their generally first thought is how to pursue new customers. And uh, so there's lots of strategies. Direct mail is mentioned. That's how it came up in my in my search um here's a great one customer feedback a company might be informed by multiple customers that they are unhappy with certain elements like this apple had a sticker on it i had to bite it off with my teeth i could not get it off with my fingernail or nothing it was a stucker sticker and i'm gonna call i'm gonna feedback that one because it's inside a bag of apples it isn't even like an independently scanned apple Ugh. anyway <laughs> So maybe two and a half million consumer complaints were left on pissed consumer is evidence that people aren't listening. Okay, and 55% of companies employ direct mail strategies to to reach out to their customers. Sometimes it's best to know who to retain and who to ignore. As we said, personalization is almost impossible. We're going to get to personalization here. Like, for example, Musician's Friend, we... We specially eliminated full price buyers from a sale price offer. Twice a year, Musician's Friend would send out a sale catalog. And, you know, not everybody buys on sale. But there are some people that only buy on sale, and they might be they might not have bought from you for three or four years. Might want to send that to them rather than eroding the margin of your, of your best customers. Just send them something else. You know you're going to mail them in not another month. With Cabela's, we showed them that when hunting season came, the muzzleloaders guys who bought a four five hundred dollar muzzleloader um, and hadn't bought again in four years, probably not until the divorce was finalized. Um, but you could mail them four years later and get them back. Whereas if you mailed the the hotline, you know, in the in the summer when you're pulling the names, the people that are buying from you most recently are fishermen. So we taught Cabela's that maybe it's better not to mail the most recent buyers, even though that was their whole strategy, and instead buy, and ignore them and then mail the people. That also works with Christmas gift buyers. You might want to ignore them. A whole segment of them, if that's the only thing they've ever bought, are best ignored, especially if they bought it in e-commerce, which has a low lifetime value compared to mail. So there's a lot of good things in here. Um, I wanted to just show you the the bathtub model, because I really like this idea that that customer retention is important for growth. So here, the spigot on here is spending, and spending gets you new customers. And you can tell who's new because they haven't 
you know, you look in your file and they're not there. They've never been there before. That address is new, etc. We can do that in direct mail. Okay, then, you know, you add that to your existing customers. And so, let's say this is a, a 100,000 new customers. You put them in there. You should have, instead of 300,000, you should have 400,000. But when you look at the end of the, the year, you don't have 400,000. When you count the 0 to 12-month buyers, you have some less lesser number. Why? Because some customers are going down the drain. Some are leaving. You don't know which ones necessarily are leaving because they may not have said, I'll never buy from Cabela's again. Their wife might have said, you're never buying from Cabela's again, but now she's gone somehow. <laughs> and so things change, and those customers can come back. So you don't really know who's gone and who's staying. You don't know their circumstances. But you can count up who bought, how many bought in the last 12 months. And you can find out that some, oops, some didn't buy. And so that number goes down. And this is the way direct marketers have kept track of their business, kept track of that balance between acquisition and retention. And the fact is, if the more holes you got in your retention, the less effective your acquisition is going to be. And so one key is to maximize your customer retention. And then you can spend more money on customer acquisition. I know that's a little complicated, but that's the way it is. Have a great day. Like and share. Your friends will know you're smart. I think there's one more bath model. Yeah, with even more going down the drain. And that's one of the things we've helped with a lot of customers. Help them decide who not to mail, who not to contact, and where to spend that money on others that might be reactivated. Excellent model. It makes your customer acquisition more efficient.